eyes for the reading of God's Word from Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning in verse 33 and reading to the end of the chapter. Hear now God's Word. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. And he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the, from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. And thus far the reading of God's word, and all God's people said, You may be seated. So the most dramatic event in the history of the world has just unfolded in Jerusalem. Think of all the dramatic events you've seen in the news in your lifetime. This one exceeds that. An event planned from all eternity and and executed at exactly the right time. As we read in Romans 5, 6, For when we were still without strength, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. All prior history had pointed to this event, and all, all the future would look back to this event. The family, friends, and disciples of Jesus you remember, just a few days before, were devastated on Friday. Not only had they witnessed their loved one being brutally tortured, crucified, put on public display, not only did they suffer personal loss, but their expectations and hopes of deliverance from the oppressors, oppressive Roman power had been utterly dashed. It appeared that there would be no victory after all. 
Our own political deliverance, by the way, whatever your concerns are about that, will not come by way of our own political power, but only by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Jews and the Romans had apparently had apparently triumphed over Jesus and his followers. The crucifixion was the ultimate public display of power and humiliation. And so great fear still gripped all the disciples of Jesus. And on a much, much more minor level, imagine if I, your pastor, was suddenly arrested and killed. How would you feel right now if that happened two days ago? How would we as a church feel? Well, that's nothing compared to what this was. So that's the backdrop. God paints such glorious pictures. So we have this dark, foreboding uh, backdrop for what's about to happen, for what is happening. So everyone in Jerusalem was well aware of the events of the last few days. It was the talk of the town. And now the disciples who were in shock and wondering what is going to happen next, what's going to happen to us, little did they know that they were in for an even bigger shock. The group of women that went to the tomb were not only surprised to find the stone rolled away from the entrance and the body of Jesus missing, but they also received an incredible, really an unbelievable explanation from two men in shining garments. And so as a result, they made a beeline from the empty tomb to tell the 11 disciples and the others this incredible, unbelievable story. The burdened, guilty, and hopeful Peter ran as fast as he could to the tomb to see for himself. We will learn later that Jesus had appeared to him. All of this sets the stage for what would happen then over the next 40 days. So we ended our story last time with this scene. Uh, In verses 28 and 29, then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he, Jesus, indicated that he would have gone farther, or he he would like to go further, we should say, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. So remember, they realized who this is now, and now they're begging him to stay. Uh, They have now become enamored with what Jesus has to teach them. Uh, They're constraining him. Uh, You can't go now. It's all starting to make sense. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And so these two disciples, as they discussed it between themselves, realized that the whole time, of course, they were talking to Jesus, they had a sense of something was going on. Something's odd here. This, 
you know, and you've had those kinds of experiences where something just seemed unusual, and then you'd, something would be revealed. You'd find out, as they did here, that was Jesus. Now, there's a lot of mystery here. That's one of the great things about the Bible. God is infinite. He doesn't tell us everything. He doesn't show us everything. In fact, he doesn't show us most things. He shows us everything we need to see. He tells us everything we need to know. And so there's mystery here because we're dealing with God. We're not going to figure God out. We're not going to put him in a box. God is infinite. So there, we would expect there to be mystery with God. So we, we talked last time I preached, two weeks ago, about the road to Emmaus where Jesus appears and walks with these disciples. And now today we want to talk about the road from Emmaus. So they've come from Jerusalem uh, and now they're going to, to Emmaus and they're going to leave Emmaus and go back to Jerusalem. Things have dramatically changed. In one sense, the daytime had now turned to night, but in another sense... Nighttime has now turned to day. In the words of Psalm 30, verses 11 through 12, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And we read in verse 33, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They didn't have a telegraph, no cell phones, no way to get this message. There was just one way, and that was to beat it back to Jerusalem. Remember the two disciples and Jesus had traveled in the early evening to Emmaus from Jerusalem a 20-mile journey that followed a physically and emotionally exhausting, exhausting week. They arrive in Emmaus near nightfall and have a meal together. So I want you to try to fathom the excitement of the news, of the revelation that Jesus was indeed raised from the dead. He's revealed in an instant. The light comes on and immediately he vanishes Now what? It wasn't like they could go to bed and get some rest, right? I will sleep on it. So, again, they couldn't pick up their phone and call back to Jerusalem and report to the apostles, so they make a beeline back to Jerusalem right now. This was the biggest news in the history of the world. This radically changed everything. It is the duty of all those to whom Christ has manifest himself to let others know what he has done for them. As Peter and John would say in Acts 4.20, we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We can't help it. I remember reading, I think it was John MacArthur's book on charismatics. I may be wrong. It's a book about charismatics, and some guy was giving his experience. And it was so ridiculous and silly and really near blasphemous that he was watching on TV an episode of Laverne and Shirley. 
and the uh, TV went blank and Jesus appeared to him. Now that, that's not the silly part. The silly part is after Jesus left, he finished watching Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> so the disciples were personally and dramatically affected. And again, if we have our eyes open to see the risen Savior, neither can we be constrained. Verse 33, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. It's likely that the term the eleven had already become shorthand or a nickname for the apostles, whether all eleven of them were actually present at a given time or location. That was just a way of talking about the eleven minus Judas. You'll remember that Cleopas and his fellow disciples, perhaps remember his wife, had been with this group the day before. Hiding in fear, the apostles were huddled together with the remaining followers of Jesus, no doubt waiting for the next shoe to fall, to, to, to fall, to fall, given the stresses that they'd all been through over the previous days. Boy, that's an understatement. Given the conflicting information they were receiving, the death and burial of Jesus, and now an empty tomb reported, and so, Picture Cleopas and his companion busting into a room full of fragile and fearful men and women just like us. Imagine the back doors busting open. And here's what they said, verse 34. The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. What? What did you say? Now, I suspect that on that night, the trip from Emmaus occurred much more quickly than the trip from Emmaus to Jerusalem. As the disciples, hot and sweaty and out of breath, began to speak, surely there was a hush that came over the room. They weren't the same dejected people who had left the day before. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is a phrase that will be adopted by the Christian church and is used until this day. This phrase is the exclamation point of the gospel. Simon Peter had seen Jesus before the rest of the disciples, as we know from 1 Corinthians 15.5 where it is said he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. The angel having instructed the women to tell Peter about it, Mark 16, 7, uh, for his comfort. Remember, he was feeling pretty guilty. You know why? Because he was guilty. You should feel guilty when you're guilty. It's highly probable that Jesus appeared to Peter that same day, though we have no particular record of it to confirm the word of these two messengers. Verse 35, And they told about the things that had happened on the road, the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. We we remember the moment. The moment we picked up the bread with him 
It was the aha moment. That's who he is. The breaking of the bread, very significant in this narrative. It was certainly significant to the two disciples. And this meal, of course, would forever be connected with the resurrection of Jesus. It was here that Jesus clearly revealed himself to them. And I think it's intended for us to continue to look for Jesus at the table of the Lord. To have our eyes opened again and again for us to remember that He is risen indeed and that changes everything. If it doesn't change everything, then you haven't, then your eyes haven't been opened. If it doesn't change your marriage, if it doesn't change your child rearing, if it doesn't change the way you work, if it doesn't change your friendships, if it doesn't change the music you like, if it doesn't change the way you dress, if it doesn't change the way you talk, if it doesn't change everything, then you didn't see Him. Because if you see Him, it can't help but change you. Now, as they said these things, verse 36, Jesus, imagine they're telling this, and, and there's this sense of unbelief, and Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? I, I, I always see just a little bit of humor here. What's the deal? I told you I was going to rise from the dead. Here I am. Why are you so surprised? Jesus had revealed himself prior to this to his disciples in the scriptures by his teaching, by his miracles, including raising the dead, by his life, by the testimony of other witnesses by now. Yet their faith was very weak. Even as he appears before their eyes, they find it hard to believe. We're also surrounded by the evidence of his resurrection, and yet we too struggle to believe. I am reminded again of a quote I had from Jordan Peterson's comment the other day when he said, it is partly when he talks about believing in Christ, and again, I have no reason to necessarily think he's become a Christian, but it sure seemed like maybe he's thinking about it. Quote, it's partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. Verse 39, behold, my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. It's me, Jesus said. Handle me and see. Check it out. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He's, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a figment of your imagination. I'm not an apparition. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. The resurrected body of Jesus had been transformed, and yet it still bore the stigmata, the brands, 
of the crucifixion. And these were unmistakable marks and signs of a crucified body. And here he stood alive in their midst with the unmistakable marks of death on his body. This was incontrovertible evidence of the resurrection. Verse 41, but while they still did not believe for joy, great phrase, and marveled, and he said to them, again, I sense some sense of humor, maybe I'm wrong here, you got anything to eat? Have any food here? I don't want to be irreverent, um, but it was kind of like, uh, who brought the chips? Let's have some fellowship. In other words, it was when it says they did not believe for joy, it was too good to be true. We can't believe it. Can you even imagine? Can you picture that moment? Don't you wish you could have been there? The shock, the overwhelming joy set over against the overwhelming grief that they had been feeling. The people in that room are being changed forever. Verse 42, so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Peter said later in Acts, speaking of Jesus, Acts 10, 40 and 41, Him God raised up on the third day and showed Him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. There's an old joke about the man who thought he was dead and went to a psychiatrist and kept insisting he was dead. And the psychiatrist kind of walked around behind him and pulled out a needle and stuck, pricked his finger. Well, he had asked him, do, do dead men bleed? And he said no. And so he pricked his finger and he began to bleed. And he said, what do you have to say about that? He said, well, I guess dead men do bleed. <laughs> do dead men eat? Jesus is eating. Dead men don't eat. Again, a meal with Jesus is at the center of the encounter. Food is physical and food is spiritual. It nourishes and it delights. Verse 44, then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Same kind of thing that he did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? Let me show you. Get your Bibles out. Let me show you. So here in the Old Testament... Moses and the the prophets, the Psalms. He's opening their understanding 
we see a couple of things that happen to men when they encounter the resurrected Christ. He opens the understanding of the disciples, and it also says it makes their heart burn, makes their hearts burn within them. This is no academic explanation here. This sets them on fire. Have you ever been set on fire by the Word of God? If not, there's a problem. David prays, open my, mine eyes, give me understanding. The resurrection proved the truth of the authority of the Word of God. People often ask how we know the Bible is true, and here's the answer. Jesus rose from the dead just like he said he would. And the Old Testament, which is put together over hundreds, thousands of years, is all about him. Verse 46, then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. That's where they were. So this had to happen. It could be no other way. The authority of the Scripture is emphasized by Jesus. Over and over he points to what, in a way, he says, you should have already seen this. It's been laying there in front of you all along. Like the rich man in the story of Lazarus, though, Abraham said to him, as he asked him to send someone from the dead to warn his brothers not to come where he was, he said, they have Moses and the prophets Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Verse 48, And you are witnesses of these things, Jesus said. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now we're going to take up this issue in the next sermon more fully because when we get over to Acts chapter 1 and 2, also written by Luke, there's an overlap of Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, and we're going to see that this very thing Jesus is talking about will begin to take place in Acts 1. This we can say, the frightened disciples of Jesus are about to be transformed into those who very shortly will be described as those who turned the world upside down. Verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And what a way to end the day. Jesus gives a benediction. A good word. He has taught them again to look to the scriptures as true, as powerful, 
as authoritative, and so now he leaves them with this good word from God. I want to close this morning with a few implications of the resurrection. It verifies the deity of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.4, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. That proves it. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a prophet. It also demonstrates that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Acts 2.36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. It verifies the truthfulness of Jesus. Jesus foretold his resurrection on three occasions in Matthew. If Jesus was telling the truth and describing his suffering and his resurrection, then he was telling the truth about everything else that he said. Therefore, the following teachings of Jesus are true. He was from the Father above and spoke the words of the Father, John 8. No one can come to the Father but through him, John 14. The blood of, uh, his blood was shed for the remission of sins, Matthew 26. He came to offer abundant life, John 10. He went to prepare a place for us, John 14. There will be a resurrection of the dead and an ensuing judgment, John 5, 12, and Acts 17. In the last two verses of Luke 24, verses 52 and 53, we see that three things resulted from the appearance of the resurrected Jesus. Verse 52 says, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. They worshipped him. This was not the first time we see such a thing in Scripture. Those who were healed by Jesus worshipped him. Some of these very disciples, after seeing him calm the stormy sea, worshipped him in a boat. As recent as a week before the crucifixion, the streets had been lined with worshippers throwing down palm branches. But our faith is weak and we easily forget who he is and what he's done. And so we, like these disciples, need to see him again and again and be reminded. We have to eat with him. We have to see his hands and his feet. So that we might fall down again and worship him who lives and reigns forever. The one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who has defeated all of his and our enemies. 
including death. Second, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Out of hiding and into the open, all fear is gone. Now filled with incredible joy, Psalm 98, O sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. Here's a great example of how the Psalms talk about Jesus and his resurrection. He has gained us the victory. They were continually third in the temple praising and blessing God. There was no sleeping in. I think we'll stay home this morning. No, they're getting together down there at the temple to praise God. I'm going to be there. I want, I want in on that. There was no mere private religious experience for these disciples. It was a public event that could not be contained as a secret. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright in the congregation. And so in memory of all these events, we too have assembled in the congregation to worship and praise and bless the Lord. We come to eat with him. We come to see him. We come to hear him and to be filled with his joy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you know our frailty and the weakness of our faith. We are no different from these early disciples. We believe, but help our unbelief. Grant to us a fresh view of our resurrected Lord. Open the scriptures to us that our minds might be enlightened and our hearts warmed. Help us to grasp the implications of the resurrection, both for our personal lives and families as well as for the world around us. And may our sorrow be turned to gladness. May our fear be turned to boldness. And may we be filled with your joy and strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. 
and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. I want to read in preparation for the table and in conjunction with the sermon a passage from something Dorothy Sayers wrote in a book called Creed or Chaos, kind of an exposition of the Apostles' Creed. She said, when Judas sinned, Jesus paid. He uh, He brought good out of evil. He led, out, he led out triumph from the gates of hell and brought all mankind out with him. But the suffering of Jesus and the sin of Judas remain a reality. God did not abolish the fact of evil. He transformed it. He did not stop the crucifixion. He rose from the dead. Thus, uh, then Judas, who had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And thereby Judas committed the final, the fatal, the most pitiful error of all. For he despaired of God and himself and never waited to see the resurrection. Had he done so, there would have been an encounter, an opportunity to leave invention bankrupt. But unhappily for himself, he did not. In this world, at any rate, he never saw the triumph of Christ fulfilled upon him and through him and in spite of him. He saw the dreadful payment made and never knew what victory had been purchased with the price. All of us, perhaps, are too ready when our behavior turns out to have been appall- to have appalling consequences to rush out and hang ourselves sometimes we do worse and show an inclination to go and hang other people judas at least seemed to blame nobody but himself and saint peter who had a minor betrayal of his own to weep for made his act of contrition and waited to see what came next What came next for St. Peter and the other disciples was the sudden assurance of what God was and with it the answer to all the riddles. If Christ could take evil and suffering and do that sort of thing with them, then of course it was all worthwhile. And the triumph of Easter linked up with that strange triumphant prayer in the upper room 
which the events of Good Friday had seemed to make so puzzling. As for their own parts in the drama, nothing could now alter the fact that they had been stupid, cowardly, faithless, and in many ways singularly unhelpful. But they did not allow any morbid and egotistical remorse to inhibit their joyful activities in the future. Now, indeed, they could go out and do something about the problem of sin and suffering. They had seen the strong hands of God twist the crown of thorns into a crown of glory, and in hands as strong as that, they knew themselves safe. They had misunderstood practically everything Christ had ever said to them. But no matter, the thing made sense at last, and the meaning was far beyond anything they had dreamed. They had expected a walkover, and they beheld a victory. They had expected an earthly Messiah, and they beheld the soul of eternity. It had been said of them of old time, No man shall look upon my face and live. But for them, a means had been found. They had seen the face of the living God turned upon them, and it was the face of a suffering and rejoicing man. Amen. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen.